for me, it was a hobby. I kind of built a website. We were leasing out a few kids' bikes. And I just kind of went day to day. About six months after we started trading, I quit. And I went all in. I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me. It takes like six months at least to raise around. It doesn't happen how you see it in the press. And so that champagne moment doesn't doesn't exist. Like I haven't really taken any maternity leave. I've had three children. When we hired our first employee, that was quite difficult. If you're building a team, you want to build a diverse team. I'm more than bike club and bike club is more than me. But yeah, trying to kind of like work out who I am outside of that has been has been a journey. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to episode number 208 of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham, this week joined by Alexandra Rico Lloyd. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You have been on my list for this podcast for a good few months, not to sound creepy. <laughs> I feel like that does actually sound really creepy. <laughs> Should we restart? Or but genuinely, I'm very excited to be chatting today. And we were saying this before we hit record. We actually went on a trip together, but never met. So there we go. Crazy. Yeah. Both went to Tel Aviv in yep. Jerusalem. I was sneaking in with the Forbes list. You are actually on the Forbes list. Yep. It was so a very, very fun party. Forbes put on a very good show. Yeah. I went into it thinking, oh gosh, it's going to be like a business conference. It's going to be really intense. It was basically spring break meets business conference. <laughs> it was yeah. so fun. Yeah, no, it was it was it was very good fun. I I went into it quite worried about the people that would be there. I thought mm. oh, Forbes list, they're all going to be, you know, very up themselves. Yes. But no, it could not have been the opposite. Like it was so much fun. Everyone was so nice, so yeah. kind, so humble. Yeah. And just all ready to get to know each other. And everyone just wanted to have fun. Yeah. Let the hair down. It was amazing. And I was the same. I had such misconceptions about like what it meant to be on the Forbes list or the kind of people that were on it or even like the benefits of being on it. But being there that week, like everyone I met, I almost went in, I think, with my guard up. And then after that first, it was like a beach party, wasn't it? Yeah. In Tel Aviv. I was, everyone I met, I was like, oh, you're actually really nice. Like, I'm the one being <laughs> judged. Okay. Like, I'm being the bad person because I just assume you're horrible. <laughs> but everyone was lovely. Have you found that with like being on the list as a whole in terms of expectations versus reality? Um, I'd actually say it's not just being on the Forbes list. I'd actually extend that out to just networks in general. Mm. Um, I never valued a network properly um, until very recently, probably this year. And I think they kind of, I don't know, the word network is a bit funny, isn't it? Yeah, it it kind of wanky. feels a bit cold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It feels a bit wanky. There's loads of networks that I've since become a part of. And maybe they're just a little bit more, I think networks have become a little bit more informal, which kind of makes them feel nicer and friendlier. But ultimately, if you're in a network, it's like-minded people and you're all going to have the same problems. You're mm -hmm. all going to have the same like annoyances with life or same challenges that you have to overcome yeah you might be at different stages someone might have done something a little bit before you or but you can kind of usually there's someone that you can call upon when you've got a problem mm. and that's what I've really liked about the networks that I've become a part of yeah recently and especially the Forbes one I've got some really good friends from it I was at London Fashion Week, Emily Carter put on a, a, a Fashion Week show. Um, I was so was really jealous cool. of that because there's group <laughs> chats, aren't there? And everyone's always yeah. hanging out and like meeting up. And I feel like I just can't make any of them. But I look from afar and you're like, that's just such a cool 
opportunity and it is just like a friendship group isn't it yeah but it sounds even as I say it it sounds fake but it actually is like I felt so at home with the people in mm. Israel and it, it's crazy because we didn't know each other before we went on yeah. uh, went on that trip but because everyone was so like-minded it, it just felt so natural and it felt like you've been friends for ages yeah and by day four you're dancing on a market table and Yep. Staying up till 2am. That was very fun. <laughs> a great end <laughs> night. So backtracking a little bit, I think you'd agree with me, you're best known for is being the co-founder of Bike Club. Yeah. I was very excited when I had a little, I really sound like a stalker the more that this episode <laughs> continues, but I'm just going to own it now. <laughs> I'm a stalker. The more that I was looking at your story, very excited to see that you're a fellow dropout of six Oh, you dropped out too. I did We've indeed. got so much in common. We're both open and angry. <laughs> <laughs> both dropped out of sick form. And I also always use the term accidental entrepreneur. So oh, okay. here yeah. we are. Similar yeah. stories. How did you go, I guess it's a bit of a kind of snapshot for people, from dropping out of sick form early to co-founding Bike Club? So it's, it's funny we've kind of mentioned the Forbes thing and how at home I felt with people. Mm. Um I got to this point at school where I just didn't feel at home. Like my friends were in the year above me and they then went off to university and I kind of got to the point where I just didn't feel at home. I had a part-time job at John Lewis. I was absolutely loved it. And I'd never really got on with school. Like I bunked so many lessons. My mum jokes that she spent more time at school than I did. <laughs> on your behalf. Um, yeah, well, yeah, in, in meetings and recovering my phone that had been confiscated or whatever it was um I just never really got on at school and I was working part-time and I loved it I loved being around people older than me as well and it just kind of it got to a point where I just decided okay let's try for an apprenticeship and see what happens Mm -hmm. and I got an apprenticeship in IT at City Hall which is the mayor's office and that started in January, so I had six months left of school, and I just decided, no, nope. I'm out. Yeah, uh, love that. I'm not going to do this anymore. I feel like it's almost once you get a taste of the real world and some actual experience and a job, it's almost like school just feels a bit silly in comparison. It's like, why am I sat here? I mean, we say that. I've now gone back to school. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will get to, but yeah, that's a funny little full yeah. circle moment. Um, yes, and. Yeah, I don't know, kind of playground gossip and stuff at school. It just kind of got to the point where that was a bit petty. Uh, You get the same thing in offices, but it's just different. I just needed a new challenge, maybe. I completely resonate with that. And like you said, it's not necessarily the learning, it's the everything surrounding it, which gets a bit tiring. I think especially by sixth form, you've done it for what, over 10 years? Yeah. You're kind of just a bit like, come on, let's try something new. Yeah, come on, let's get started. Yeah, I love it. So speaking of getting started, I, from my perspective, I feel like it's so easy to look at like established startups, you know, tens of millions in funding, loads of employees, you know, on Forbes list doing great. And I, even though I know from so many stories, that's not the case, but I always think, oh, it must've been like that from day one. You know, they just woke up and all of those things started happening. Obviously I know that's very rarely, if not ever true. What did those very early days of bike club look like? Like how did it even begin? Where was the idea from? It's so funny because when you say that, tens of millions of funding, like multi-million pound turnover yeah. on the Forbes list, and I kind of sit there and I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> Whose business is that? 
hang on. Someone else on this side. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I, I, it's just how it, it, everyone asks, like, how did it start? And I, I don't even, I, I don't know how I'm here. <laughs> Still trying to work that yeah, way out. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I haven't quite worked it out myself. I, I kind of, I, I did a bit of this in, in a speech to the company recently. And honestly, I think it was built out of just a love for cycling, honestly. My co-founder and I, who also happens to be my husband, we both loved cycling. Um, and in a way, we kind of brought cycling into each other's lives. He had done a lot of cycling at university. And then when we met, he'd been an accountant for a few years. So he'd been away from cycling for a bit, you know, working late, eating badly, <gasps> having loads of beers. The tube? using the tube outrageous slightly overweight <laughs> uh, and I was commuting every day I was kind of I think I was cycling like 30 miles a day wow um on my terrible terrible bike and he was like hang on this machine that you're using is not good enough and taught me you know but a lightweight bike wear clothing that makes you very comfortable and kind of um increases your enjoyment and then he got back into cycling and we cycled together went on those cycling holidays and so it was really born out of a love for cycling so I guess I was very on board with our vision and our mission but I don't really uh, I was on board with the mission I guess he had more of the vision because I, I for me it was a hobby I kind of built a website we were leasing out a few kids bikes and I just kind of went day to day and you had other Build- jobs at the time we were both working full-time, yeah, when we started. Okay. We kind of continued that for a bit. We said, look, when we get to this number of bikes rent- rented out, we both quit our jobs and we go all in. It got to that and it surpassed that. We were both sort of like, okay. <laughs> no one say anything. Who's going to take the plunge? <laughs> <laughs> we were making it work. We were doing deliveries in the mornings and evenings and weekends and stuff and it was kind of working and then it got to the point where it just really didn't work like someone had to Mm. quit and do this because it's clearly got traction uh so I quit my job Uh, about six months after we started trading I quit and I went all in and I guess for me the rest is kind of history because it just kind of happened we kind of just kept growing and kind of 18 months later he came on board full-time so you spent the first 18 months with just you as the kind of full-time founder in the company yeah wow how did that feel was you to be the one to to make that move I felt like okay so firstly like being a founder is very lonely being a co-founder is slightly less lonely but then being a co-founder when your co-founder is still working yeah. <laughs> is kind of, it kind of leaves you in this kind of weird predicament because I felt like there was a lot of pressure on me because a lot of people were looking at me thinking, yeah, for me, it was a hobby, but it was also a business. We also had employees. Like, it's not actually a hobby at this point. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This we is are kind of try- escalating Yeah, we are bit. trying to grow something. We do want to change the world. I think because I was maybe the female in the relationship, there was this kind of misconception that I'd just kind of given up my job and this was my hobby that I was just kind of working on as mm. a side project. Hate that word, side hustle. Yeah. So I also had that to battle with. Arguably, he took more of the risk because the startup capital was his. But then I felt a lot of pressure on me. And as we, uh, friends and family, or his friends and family, (laughs) um, put in more money, 
that 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 was a lot of pressure because mm. I was suddenly being being trusted yeah. to look after the cash and hopefully turn it into more and turn it into a successful business and um actually all I saw was loads of kids bikes <laughs> wondering what the hell I was doing yeah um that and that was it was very lonely yeah I can imagine were there any kind of key moments that you can look back on in those first 18 months where you know it was particularly challenging or there were kind of particular moments where it was you know not necessarily do I give this up but god this is really hard I'm quite a shy person and so the period of time where I was doing it all by myself firstly now I've completely changed from who I was back then and I would speak to that person and I would tell her to grow some networks Mm. and really invest in the network maybe not keep your head down all the time and actually walk out the house and have a conversation. Yeah. I, I would tell her to employ someone sooner and not try and do it all yourself because mm. like me sitting there replying to every single email and doing like, kind of all the admin and it, 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 it gets, gets to a point where you have to employ someone to do that. But if yeah. you employ someone sooner, then you can grow quicker. They're the two pieces of advice I'd give to... Mm. My, myself when I in that phase so when I was all by, all, all by myself shy individual just kind of head down cracking down working on it was kind of okay I had other people's views of what I was doing but I didn't really care about them when we hired our first employee that was quite difficult because I firstly had to step up as a leader and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing is it okay to swear <laughs> absolutely <laughs> God, if you can't swear, um, can you really describe what business is like? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I didn't have I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and I don't think any like business for first time founder like you don't you don't really have a clue. But I had to pretend that I did, um, and I had to lead someone, and I had to kind of yeah, I had to do all the government stuff, and I then had to sort out pay slips, and that felt mm. very grown up and very very real. But also, they came to work in our flat, which. It's just, I mean, I love how you laugh. Like, it is, it is crazy. Like, how, firstly, kudos to them. Like, yeah, they were obviously <laughs> all in. Yeah. Um, but also, again, Alex, what the, what were you doing? Mm. Like, get some co-working space. Grow up. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though, the things you do at the start and you think, you know, it feels scrappy and it feels just like the right thing. And then you look back and go, that was a really interesting decision. Like I look back with my product-based business, I was like, yeah, I'll pack all the orders from the start. Spent two weeks solid working (laughs) till 4 a.m. packing up. And I just look back and I'm like, how? It's similar to like you were saying, you know, you think you've a bit of superhero mentality, like I'm going to do it all and it should all be me when actually you've got to step away in order for things to grow. Yeah, definitely. And that is something you really do learn um, at various points because there's different levels of stepping away. You have to learn to trust people as well and you have to learn to manage people and it's not just you and a macbook anymore it's, it's yeah. something a lot bigger our, our first employee he went off to buy a house a, a flat with his girlfriend two months in and god that was that was a lot of responsibility as well because suddenly i mean i know i'm responsible for paying his payroll i i cried the first time i paid him because it kind of all felt so real and so big mm. and so like this is actually happening yeah but yeah, like when he goes off and buys a flat, that's really that's really cool. Yeah. Like 
creating employment. It's incredible. But also like a lot of responsibility because mm. he needs to pay his mortgage every every month and yeah. go on holiday. And I'm now responsible for someone else's like life in a weird yeah. kind of roundabout way. Completely. I feel like it's crazy enough being responsible for your own life when you run a business, but it's like the risk you're willing to take with your own life is very different to the yeah. risk you can even legally take with other people's lives. Very true. But as you're saying that, I feel like that is such a pivotal moment in any kind of size of company is that first employee because it kind of feels like it takes it from fun hobby we're just seeing what happens to we're now taking this seriously yeah. and I guess the transition for you as founder like you said that's someone that's looking to you to know Alex what should I do today well Alex what's the vision of the business that I'm contributing to and it's suddenly like oh shit okay yeah. <laughs> this is a little bit serious now yeah now it really matters what other people think yeah. but like you said there's you know that is such an incredible step as well in terms of what that means and what it represents you spoke earlier about kind of the business coming from a place of passion and I guess purpose and things that were really important to you how important has that passion and love for the business been in kind of weathering the challenging seasons over the years so the first thing that springs to mind is christmas every child wants a bike under the tree for christmas like let's get real mm -hmm. that's a cool present to have right and so christmas is our busiest time of year i'm not sure where your listeners are based but in the uk christmas is quite cold yes <laughs> so it's not usually the season where you'd be out on your bicycle much um but it is the season where people give presents and people give bikes for Christmas and boxing day rides seem to be a thing but I'm not sure totally how much use they get in the depths of January so Christmas is is very stressful because usually but like you know we're a grown business so we've we've grown a lot throughout the year and then Christmas hits and we have to service a lot of bikes or what we call them it's a pdi a pre-delivery inspection and every bike goes through that whether it's brand new or, or not that's done by trained mechanics so all the bikes need to be done then they need to be stored and delivered sometime near christmas so that the child doesn't come across it that's a massive massive operation mm. and i mean in the early years it was it was kind of it was kind of fine because it wasn't too much but um like now we start building for these bikes in well, we've already started building for them. So we start building wow. for them in September. And then the storage is, is like a big thing because we know we're not going to need that level of storage space for the first kind of quarter of the year. Christmas is, is a very stressful time of year, but everyone loves it. At least like in the early days, everyone loved it because they were so on board with the vision, right? Mm. And the idea of a kid waking up on Christmas, running downstairs and getting so excited by a bike underneath the tree yeah. is what keeps people going. Like during those periods of time when everyone's putting in really long hours, the warehouses are cold, people work on Christmas day because that's when the comms come in, it just last minute stuff, it, something might be wrong with the bike. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't actually happen that much at all really because we all want Christmas to go so well and so we prepare so much for it and that's really nice everyone wakes up on Christmas morning after working very very hard for the last quarter of the year but they wake up knowing that thousands of thousands of children are very happy yeah. because of all the work they've put in that's really special and very to not special. just know that those children are having that experience but also when you think of the you know environmental impact I know that's a big part of what your business model is built around is minimizing waste and you know being what's the right word conscious in the way that you operate your business that must be a great feeling too that 
yeah. it's all been done in that right way. Yeah, because Christmas can be, like, it can be very wasteful Christmas time. Mm. Um, a lot of presents that are brought just for the sake of buying presents, a lot of wrapping paper, and a lot of stuff that doesn't get used, but we know that the bikes are going to get used, and if that child enjoys the bike for a few months and then decides actually it's not for them, then someone else uses it. Or if they grow out of it, well, that's the other thing. Yeah, um, then they need another one. Then they, Exactly. That's the joy of bike club. And that eh? comes back to us and it goes out to another child. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm interested, over the years, how have you kept connected to that passion and joy? Because I feel like it's so easy to feel it in the early days, isn't it? When it's like a fresh idea and maybe isn't that much pressure or it just all feels quite new. You know, five, six years in, when you're perhaps not so close to the customer anymore and you're running actually quite a big operation, how do you keep in love with what it is that you're building? That's a really interesting question. And um, I don't think that I ever fell out of love with what I was doing. I fell out of love with cycling itself for a period of time. Interesting. Because I was just so many bikes during the day. James and I, my husband and co-founder, we were coming back from a cycling holiday. A motorcyclist crashed into the back of us. It was totally his fault. Um, it was very shocking for me. I couldn't drive for a few weeks after. He was fine, luckily. And actually the bikes kind of saved him because they were on the back of the car and it acted like a bit of a trampoline. But the bikes were totally ruined. They were a write-off and we never actually replaced them. And this was probably five years ago now. And I got on a road bike for the first time again this week. No and way. Like, for that long, I just... I, what, what, firstly, I didn't have the time. Mm. Um... But also I just, I lost my personal passion for cycling. Sure. But now I cycle everywhere. I cycle every day. I cycled here. I've got multiple bikes. And the the love and the passion for my my personal cycling experience Mm. has come back. I guess that's the thing of turning your hobby into a business. Yeah. Because you kind of can lose the hobby in the process of it. Yeah. I know a lot of people that have gone through that sort of, that sort of thing. I mean... I'm guessing you don't fall out of love with paper. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I hate marketing and I hate paper. Yeah, do you know what? I don't really relate. I think the businesses that I run, neither of them really felt like they came from hobbies. Mm -hmm. I think they did evolve very naturally. But yeah, I wouldn't say like, you know, I don't wake up in the morning excited to talk about LinkedIn strategies. Um, (laughs) So I don't feel like it's a hobby too much. It does does feel like a job most of the time. (laughs) So something I'm interested to talk a bit about is investment and what that's looked like for you. Because I feel like this is a part of business and startup growth that can be a little bit shrouded in mystery and just feel a bit, you know, almost like a secret club where if you know, you know, but if you don't, you don't. Yep. Correct me if anything, this is wrong, but you've raised over 40 million through Bike Club dollars. Yeah. More than that? I think. I don't know. That's what LinkedIn said, so we'll run with that. Um, (laughs) Lose track. (laughs) Am I right in thinking you've done three rounds? So you did a pre-seed, Series A, and then a Series B? Well, so we also did, um, like, there's various bridging rounds as well as part of that. We also did a tiny crowd cube round. Okay. Uh, It was before our Series A to kind of, that was another bridging round, basically. Um, When I say tiny, I I can't remember how much. I think it was a million. Maybe it was less. Miniature. This is the thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. How, like, you know, thinking back to you, maybe before that kind of first Series A, or like, I guess when you first started raising investment, how did that feel? Did you feel confident? Like, where did you go to know what to do? 
what does no, that even look like? Of course not. Like a million pounds, like that doesn't exist. Mm. <laughs> I, I think this is where we made a very good co-founding team because I'm very operational. I've got very high attention to detail. My co-founder is the complete opposite. He also comes from a finance background. So, uh, I mean, most of the fundraising was him. All the fundraising was him, really. And so we made a very good co-founding team. It feels crazy. But equally, everyone seems to think that this money comes in overnight. Um, it doesn't. It takes like six months at least mm. to raise around. A lot of lawyers, a lot of long documents, mm -hmm. a lot of boring phone calls, a lot of learning loads of terms that you never thought you'd need. Mm -hmm. And if you come from that world, if you come from a finance background, then yes, you'll know those terms but if you don't then it's a lot of writing loads of acronyms down whilst you're in a call or looking yep. for a term sheet and then going around <laughs> going away and just googling late at night yeah trying to get your head around what on earth you're about to sign and then you always think there's this champagne moment yes when you close the deal but by that point uh, no offence to anyone I've been on a deal with, but by that point, you're so fed up with the people you've been working with. You've had so, you've gone around in so many circles, you've probably had a few arguments along the way, and you just want that damn thing signed. Mm. <laughs> and once it's signed, well, now you've kind of been not on hold because you never, you never raised that you're on hold, but you've, you've been planning for that money to be in the bank account and the projects you're going to do, the people you're going to hire. And as soon as that document's signed and you know the money's coming in the next morning, well, you've got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a lot of damn work to do. Yeah. And you've, if you've, it's a series A or a series B or whatever, if, if you've got an institutional investor, you've most likely got a hundred day plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's it. You've, you've now got goals. And yes. You've, you've got to perform. Yeah. And so that champagne moment doesn't, doesn't exist. And you've also got people sat, waiting for you to succeed because they've bet on you succeeding i wouldn't say they sit waiting um, they, <laughs> they definitely they definitely keep on top of you <laughs> oh i thought you're gonna say the opposite like they just go and chill on holiday just pop back in no yeah i mean I, it's so much that you don't see isn't it you see the shiny press that goes just closed on a 20 million round you think you know it is incredible yeah but what you don't see is like you said the months of work up until that point and then suddenly, well, that it, that day is not the finish point, actually. That's the start, isn't it? Mm. That's game on. Saying it's a show probably isn't the right thing. But, like, it doesn't happen how you see it in the press either. By the time it's hit the press, it's probably it was probably closed a month ago and been under embargo for a while. And that's the other thing as a founder. You can't even, you can't even shout about it until that piece of press goes out. And by the time the press goes out, everyone's like, oh, well done. That's amazing news. And you're like, yeah, yeah, happened a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only it was coming. Don't worry, working on the next round now. <laughs> yeah, I completely, I can totally imagine that. And hats off to you. I, from what I hear and see, the process of fundraising is a, a stressful one, pivotal yeah. to getting a business to where you got Bike Club to. I've actually become quite interested in the fundraising element of business. Mm. I think there's a lot of businesses out there that are probably very underfunded because the founders have a lot of potential, the business itself has a lot of potential, but the access to capital isn't necessarily there. It's a, just a space that over the past few months I've kind of, I've got quite interested in mm. um, trying to work out how you could more democratise access to finance. Yeah, and speaking of that access, I mean, a stat that always baffles me is the one that, and I think you've shared it before, like 1% of VC funding goes to all female teams. Wow, versus... you really are a stalker. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, to be fair, I was reading an article. I'm, I'm winding you up. I'm winding you up. <laughs> you got me to buy. Versus 89% that are all male teams. And I also yeah. saw a stat the other day that said to get the all-female teams to 10% of VC funding, just 10%, at the moment, the rate it's increasing at would take until 2045, which is just crazy. But then I also feel that I'm not totally sure single-sex co-founding teams are necessarily, like, good. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't think they're bad. But I think if you've got a male and a female co-founder, we are biologically different, right? I, and you always want, if you're building a team, you want to build a diverse team. You don't mm. build a team of all females or all men, do you? And so I kind of think that that kind of helps to have that in a co-founding team. Um, just right from the get-go, actually, we've got a bit of diversity. And that probably really helped, like, James and I. Um, fine, husband and wife, whatever. We are very different. We come from very different backgrounds. We have very different outlooks on life. And actually, you're, that then brings a wealth of experience. So actually, it's more the 10% figure that we're maybe looking to increase, where I think it's, I think it's 10% at the moment is kind of mixed mm. gender is where the VC funding is going yeah. to. That's and right. that's still not good enough, I don't think. Like, no. that's really not good enough. I think that, that figure really needs to get better. Mm. And obviously, like, I think it's just probably easier to raise capital if you're a man, but yeah, mm. it almost definitely is. Yeah. What kind of specific challenges do you feel like you've faced being a woman in the kind of startup world that you're in? Having kids. Mm. Like I haven't really taken any maternity leave. I've had three children. But then also, like, go back to why I left school in the first place. I like being busy. I don't feel I missed out on maternity leave at all because I was doing what I loved. I don't think the children are worse off either. People's perceptions on what I should be doing or how I should be doing it, mm. that has been quite difficult to overcome. I, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I'm, I probably haven't done it the right way at all because you can't bring babies into the office normally. I did for the first two and then by the time we got to the third, the business was a lot bigger and didn't really work like that. You can't really bring a baby to a, a grown-up business. I have breastfed in front of investors and I have breastfed during board meetings because well, that's that's what I needed to do to a founder is irreplaceable at a certain point in time mm. I think every founder should aspire to the point where they are replaceable because that means you've built a really good team really good business mm. but that's not always the case you could need to build to that point interesting isn't it and you're right I, I don't think there is a right answer or a wrong answer because I guess the solution looks different for everyone when I look and obviously I'm speaking to someone who doesn't have kids but when I look at clients or, or friends who run businesses and have children I just think gosh that is it's just another layer of challenge isn't it and I find it so interesting and frustrating when you see interviews with male entrepreneurs no one asks them how did you juggle <laughs> it with the kids no, or how did you balance the two it's always the women because of that assumed responsibility yeah and then that puts more responsibility on the women like yeah mm. um no matter how modern you are as a father I think there is always in our era there are always biases and you do have to do a lot more if you compare me to my my husband for example like he hasn't sat breastfeeding children for I'm not very good at maths but like 22 months I think I've done a breastfeeding and the sleepless nights and all that lot mm. all that jazz <laughs> would you do anything differently I guess give your past self any advice navigating a growing startup with three kids over the years I haven't been asked that question before. I don't think I would. 
actually. I've loved it. I I think they've got they've got like positive perceptions of like my my son's some of his first words were bike club. Oh, and I love that. He used to point at any bicycle and call it bike club. He thought a bicycle was bike club. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially when both mummy and daddy are going to work together. Mm. Clearly very passionate about what we're doing. Marketing agencies and stuff will come over and do meetings from our kitchen. And that, that was really nice like to, to show him that work isn't just to get money work is because you love it you, you you're passionate about it you challenge yourself kids will always not want to go into nursery or school one day right but then I'm able to always have that conversation with him like yeah but we, we've all got to go off and do our things during the day and mommy's got to go off and she's got to go and work and daddy's got to go and work and we've got mm. to challenge things and I think there was one Christmas where he was a little bit kind of he wanted to see a little bit more of mummy and daddy it's the busiest time of year for us but he then got to the point where he was going into school saying my mummy and daddy get loads of children bikes oh that's amazing <laughs> They're like the modern father <coughs> christmas <laughs> yeah yeah that's amazing it's nice to show them to, to kind of show them the value in in work yeah work has such like negative connotations it doesn't have to be that way mm. i think you should love your work a lot more just generally you spend so much time doing it yeah it's baffling to me when people stay in jobs that they don't like and I appreciate that can be a somewhat privileged thing to say you know assuming that people have the ability to change jobs and take that risk you know when people you meet people and you're like oh how's your job you still hate it five years on like what like that would feel so horrible to me because mm. you spend so long doing it then also, I think mindset, right? Going through challenging times at Bike Club, I, I get, and you probably get similar, that Sunday morning dread where you know you've got to go into work on Monday morning. Yeah. That is a hundred times worse when it's your own business. Thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> I feel like everyone <laughs> pretends that they skip out of bed on a Monday morning and we don't have the Sunday dread because we run our own businesses. It's a hundred times worse. It's so much worse. Mm -hmm. And, but you've, you've got to tell yourself it's like, you've got to find love in what you do. You, you can't just walk around being miserable all the time because then you're just going to become a miserable person and it's, it's not going to be good at that point. But mm. if you find what you love or find what you love in what you do, yeah. then you can be happy. Yeah. Um, and then everything looks rosy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not always gonna be rosy. You're gonna have that Sunday morning dread, but like work out what you're doing it for. Mm. Um, and then then you can enjoy yourself. Yeah, and I guess circling back to what you're saying right at the top of this episode, starting a business from a place of passion, that's what leads to that. Because no matter how hard it gets, no matter how horrible the week looks coming up, at the very core, it's, oh no, but I, I love it. Yes. It's worth it. At least you've got, you've got a reason for doing it. Mm. Got a raison d'etre, probably terrible accent. There, <laughs> but you've got a reason for being. Completely. Um, That's why I couldn't imagine, you know, when people st talk about starting a business and they're like, oh, I sat in a room and I had a piece of paper and I like, what, you know, I wanted to start a business. So I came up with the idea. To me, that feels like such an odd order to do it in because actually the idea has got to be the first bit because if you don't love it, how the heck are you going to make yourself put in all the work to make mm. it happen? But different approaches, isn't it? Different yeah. strokes for different folks. Um, to round us off, I wanted to chat a little bit about what you're doing now because 
six years in, earlier in the year, you made the decision to step back slightly from Bike Club. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what led to that? Um, so firstly, the business is now going international. Amazing. So we're building a growing, we're building a, an international business now in new markets. And it kind of ties in with the kid stuff, right? I know what type of mother I want to be. I'm not going to be around all the time, but I do want to drop them off, pick them up and tuck them in most days. Realistically, you can't do that every day, otherwise you'd be working part-time. For both of us to be building an international business, that would be very difficult on our family life. At the moment, like James is traveling every week and we couldn't we couldn't both be doing that. But it just I don't know how we would have made it work and I wouldn't have been happy with how we how we were raising the kids. So that was that was a big part of it. Felt that it was in a really good place, that we had good funding, we're at a really good stage in business. There's loads of problems, don't get me wrong, there are always problems. Team, like building a good team, the good resources, good advisors around us. And it kind of felt like on that on that vision piece, it felt like we're in a good place for people to take that over, like take over. Mm. Um, and so handing over the baton felt right. Did it feel almost like you were like, I don't know, like your child had graduated and you were sending it off into the world. I think that was part of my leaving speech to the team. <laughs> uh, like people refer to the business as my baby and I've never felt completely at ease with that because I'm more than bike club and bike club is more than me. It is like, it. I mean, it is in a way, it is a baby, it's very true. But it's it's at that point where I I, I can now trust it into other people and that baby needs to graduate that baby needs to kind of go off and be its own person yeah and I need to I need I need to be my own person too mm. and there's a I've been through a massive identity crisis like who am I <laughs> if I'm not bike club who am I yeah. don't get me wrong I now cycle everywhere and I wear a bike club lanyard like I am still bike club but yeah trying to kind of like work out who I am outside mm. of that um has been has been a journey Mm, that's very exciting though to think where that could lead you having that bit more I dare say space because you have got three children and also you're now <laughs> studying at London Business School so I feel like you've just replaced one big project with another but what's nice about that is it's been so like laser focused on subscription kids bikes if it's not subscription it's not kids bikes mm. I just I have not um I've not bothered to uh, kind of give it the headspace and so it's really nice to kind of pull my head out of those weeds and look there's a whole world out there yeah there's so many other businesses so many other industries and what is nice is like talking to other founders and exploring other industries you kind of realize that even though they're really different there's so many like, similar problems and what i've like learnings i've had from bike club are, are applicable to other industries as well and so I'm, I'm going through a period of exploration I love that. Do you have any inclination of where that exploring might lead you or? I think watch this space, but I'm very interested in female empowerment, especially the kind of uh, enabling mothers to go back into work. That naught to five, I think, is a very key period of a child's life, um, but families aren't necessarily supported properly through that period. So I'm quite interested in that. But then also we spoke about um, democratising access to finance. I'm really interested in kind of how can surely a VC fund would love to have a founder sat within them come in from a founder's perspective 
and actually trying to kind of make that relationship work very well with the mm. fund and the founders that are coming onto the team. Mm. Um, true operational experience, not just from a spreadsheet. Two very different like areas, but things that I'm interested in. That's so exciting. I can't wait to watch all of that unfold. <laughs> the creepy stalker is back. <laughs> You're going to block me on LinkedIn after this. No, I no, we're going to go out for a drink at some point. Because <laughs> you're terrified of me and you just need to check I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> no, I'm worried how, how else has been stalking me. Like, I know. Just shows, though, always a good lesson, though, how many silent watchers there are. I don't know if you find that on LinkedIn where, like, you know, you see the people liking and commenting. And I always just, I just think, oh, that's the people it's reaching. But then you have conversations with people and they're like... I've never met you, but like I had no clue you existed, oh. but you've been consuming all of this. It's quite scary how much information is available about mm. me online. <laughs> I would, I think you've got to, you know, there's two sides to it. You could see it as scary or you could think, wow, you know, how amazing. You're reaching so many people, <laughs> making such an impact. I'd love to end on a quick fire question round, mm -hmm. if you feel all right with that. Um, I'll take them from what we've already spoken about. So okay. you can repeat what you said or add something else in. If you could go back to the you of six years ago, very start of Bike Club, you know, there's someone listening to this who's at that very beginning point of their business journey. One encouragement or piece of advice would you give? Ask questions. Like, it's what employers tell people all the time, but that applies if you're a business owner. And so that then unfolds into build your network, find some friends, find mm. some advisors, and feel free to give them a call, ping them a WhatsApp message. People are happy to help. What can we all be doing to support working parents in the juggle of career and family so i'm a fan of office working probably hybrid working let's get real but i think flexible working is very important because mm. the school day is nine till three that needs to change like let's just start there but also just like realize that they've been up since well, they probably had a really sleepless night done the school run come into work and you've just rolled in so like just have a little bit of patience with someone if they're late or if they haven't completely prepared for a meeting I, I think just having a little bit of yeah just a little bit of empathy or sympathy for what a parent would have gone through mm. to get them to where they are at 9 a.m. yes yeah that is so important because it's easy to forget you know I get not to show up but I do roll out of bed whenever I want I don't have to think about anyone else but I've lived the you most selfish life you don't have someone watching you go to the loo or have a shower weirdly not oh god am I that missing must be out? a nice life <laughs> <laughs> feel like I'm missing out there that sounds really enjoyable <laughs> but you're right there's so much there that we can be conscious of that's great and as a final question where can people connect with you online where can they join my list of stalkering and well, bike club as well? Yeah, I mean, apparently you stalk me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm Alexandra Rico Lloyd. Um, I do like LinkedIn. I've been a bit quiet recently. I do need to change that. Um, and bike club, subscription kids bikes, exchange as they grow. Uh, you can find it at bikeclub.com. Amazing. And if people are in the places that you're expanding to, watch this space. Yep. Germany, we're coming for you mm -hmm. very soon. So exciting. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this.